Chapters 4 and 5 of Animal Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Animal Ghosts by Elliot O'Donnell. Chapter 4 Bulls, Cows, Pigs, etc. From the Hebrides there comes to me a case of the phantasm of a black bull that, on certain nights in the year, is heard bellowing inside the shed where it was killed. There are many accounts of ghostly cows heard mooing in the moors and boglands of Scotland and Ireland respectively, and not a few cases of whole herds of phantom cattle seen gliding along, one behind the other, with silent, noiseless tread though i have never had the opportunity of experimenting with cows to see if they are sensitive to the superphysical i see no reason why they should not be and i feel quite certain they will participate in the future life a propos of pigs mr dyer in his ghost world says another form of spectre animal is the kirk grim which is believed to haunt many churches sometimes it is a pig sometimes a horse the haunting spectre being the spirit of an animal buried alive in the churchyard for the purpose of scaring away the sacrilegious mr dyer goes on to say that it was the custom of the old christian churches to bury a lamb under the altar and that if any one entered a church out of service time and happened to see a little lamb spring across the choir and vanish it was a sure prognostication of the death of some child and if this apparition was seen by the grave-digger, the death would take place immediately. Mr. Dyer also tells us that the Danish Kirk Grimm was thought to hide itself in the tower of a church, in preference to any other place, and that it was thought to protect the sacred buildings. According to the same writer, in the streets of Krosterberg, a grave sow, or, as it was called, a gray sow, was frequently seen, and it was said to be the apparition of a sow formerly buried alive, its appearance foretelling death or calamity. Phantasm of a Goat Mrs. Crow, in her Night Side of Nature, relates one case of a house near Philadelphia, USA, that was haunted by a variety of phenomena, among others, that of a specter resembling a goat, other extraordinary things happened in the house she writes which had the reputation of being haunted although the son had not believed it and had thereupon not mentioned the report to the father one day the children said they had been running after such a queer thing in the cellar it was like a goat and not like a goat but it seemed to be like a shadow this explanation does not appear to be very satisfactory but as i have heard of one or two other cases of premises being haunted by what undoubtedly were the phantasms of goats i think it highly probable it was the ghost of a goat in this instance too the phantom pigs of chiltern hills a good many years ago there was a story current of an extraordinary haunting by a herd of pigs the chief authority on the subject was a farmer who was an eye-witness of the phenomena i will call him mr b mr b as a boy lived in a small house called the moat grange which was situated in a very lonely spot near four crossroads connecting four towns the house deriving its name from the fact that a moat surrounded it stood near the meeting point of the four roads which was the site of a gibbet the bodies of the criminals being buried in the moat well the bees had not been living long on the farm before they were awakened one night by hearing the most dreadful noises partly human and partly animal seemingly proceeding from a neighboring spinney and on going to a long front window overlooking the crossroads they saw a number of spotted creatures like pigs screaming fighting and tearing up the soil on the site of the criminal cemetery the sight was so unexpected and alarming that the bees were appalled and mr b was about to strike a light on the tinder-box when the most diabolical white face was pressed against the outside of the window-pane and stared in at them this was the climax the children shrieked with terror and mrs b falling on her knees 
began to pray, whereupon the face at the window vanished, and the herd of pigs, ceasing their disturbance, tore frantically down one of the high roads and disappeared from view. Similar phenomena were seen and heard so frequently afterwards that the bees eventually had to leave the farm, and subsequent inquiries led to their learning that the place had long borne the reputation of being haunted, the ghosts being supposed to be the earthbound spirits of the executed criminals. Whether this was so or not must, of course, be a matter of conjecture. The herds of hogs may well have been the phantasms of actual earthbound pigs, attracted to the spot by a sort of fellow feeling for the criminals, whose gross and carnal natures would no doubt appeal to them. A lane in Hertfordshire was, and perhaps still is, haunted by the phantasm of a big white sow, which had accidentally been run over and killed. It was occasionally heard grunting, and had the unpleasant knack of approaching one noiselessly from the rear, and of making the most unearthly noise just behind one's back. Sheep Lambs and sheep, possessing finer natures than goats and pigs, would appear to be less earthbound, and, in all probability, only temporarily haunt the spots that witnessed their usually barbarous ends. Most slaughter-horses are haunted by them, as, indeed, by many other animals. A Scottish moor long bore the reputation for being haunted by a phantom flock of sheep, which were always heard baying plaintively before a big storm. It was supposed they were the ghosts of a flock that had perished in the memorable severe weather of Christmas, 1880. Here is a case that may be regarded as typical of hauntings by sheep, Presumably, the earthbound spirits of the sheep, overwhelmed in some great storm or unexpected catastrophe. The Spectre Flock of Sheep in Germany During the Seven Years' War in Germany, writes Mrs. Crow in her Night Side of Nature, a drover lost his life in a drunken squabble on the high road. For some time, there was a sort of rude tombstone with a cross on it, to mark the spot where his body was interred. But this has long fallen, and a milestone now fills its place. Nevertheless, it continues to be commonly asserted by the country people, and also by various travelers, that they may have been deluded on that spot by seeing, as they imagine, herds of beasts, which, on investigation, prove to be merely visionary. Of course, Many people look upon this as a superstition, but a very regular confirmation of the story occurred in the year of 1826, when two gentlemen and two ladies were passing the spot in a post-carriage. One of these was a clergyman, and none of them had ever heard of the phenomenon said to be attached to the place. They had been discussing the prospects of the minister, who was on his way to a vicarage, to which he had just been appointed, when they saw a large flock of sheep, which stretched quite across the road, and was accompanied by a shepherd and a long-haired black dog. As to meet cattle on that road was nothing uncommon, and indeed they had met several droves in the course of one day. No remark was made at the moment, till suddenly they looked at each other and said, what's become of the sheep? Quite perplexed at their sudden disappearance, they called to the position to stop, and all got out, in order to mount the little elevation and look around, but still unable to discover them. They now bethought themselves of asking the postilion where they were, when, to their infinite surprise, they learned that he had not seen them. Upon this, they bade him quicken his pace, that they might overtake a carriage that had passed them shortly before, and inquire if that party had seen the sheep. But they had not. Four years later, a postmaster named Jay was on the same road, driving a carriage, in which were a clergyman and his wife, when he saw a large flock of sheep near the same spot. Seeing they were very fine weathers, and supposing them to have been bought at a sheep fair that was taking place a few miles off, Jay drew up his reins and stopped his horses, turning at the same time to the clergyman to say that he wanted to inquire the price of the sheep, as he intended going the next day to the fair himself. Whilst the minister was asking him what sheep he meant, Jay got down and found himself in the midst of the animals. 
the size and beauty of which astonished him. They passed him at an unusual rate, whilst he made his way through them to find the shepherd, when, on getting to the end of the flock, they suddenly disappeared. He then first learned that his fellow travelers had not seen them at all. So writes Mrs. Crow, and I quote the case in support of my argument, that sheep, like horses, cats, dogs, and all other kinds of animals, possess spirits, and consequently have a future state of existence. I have not yet experimented with sheep, goats, or pigs, but I do not doubt that they are more or less sensitive to the superphysical influences, and possess the psychic faculty of scenting the unknown, though not, perhaps, in so great a degree as any of the other animals I have enumerated. End of chapter 4 Part 2 Wild Animals and the Unknown Chapter 5 Wild Animals and the Unknown Apes The following case of animal hauntings was recorded in automatic writing. I sank wearily into my easy chair before the fire, which burned with a fitful and sullen glow in the tiny grate of my one room, bare and desolate, as only the room of an unsuccessful author can be. My condition was pitiable. For the past twelve months I had not earned a cent, and, of my small capital, there now remained but two pounds toward the hound of starvation from my door. In the moonlight I could perceive all the bareness of the apartment. Would to God fancy, would ride to me on this moonbeam and give me inspiration. T'was indeed weird, the silver ethereal path connecting the moon with the earth, and the more I gazed along it, the more I wished to leave my body and escape to the star-lighted vaults. Certainly, from a conversation I had once had with a member of the New Occult Society, I believed it possible, by concentrating all the mental activities in one channel, so to overcome the barriers which prevent the soul from visiting scenes of the ethereal world, as to pass materialized to the spot upon which the ideas are fixed. But although I had essayed, how many times I do not like to confess, to gain that amount of concentration necessary for the separation of the soul from the body, up to the present all my attempts had been fruitless. Doubtless there had been something, too minute even for definition, that had interrupted my self-abstraction, a something that had wrecked my venture, just when I felt it to be on the verge of completion. And was it likely that now, when my ideas were misty and vague, I should be more successful? I wanted to quit the cruel bonds of nature and be free, free to roam and ramble. But where? At length, as I gazed into the moonlight, I lost all cognizance of the objects around me, and my eyes became fixed on the mountains of the moon, which I discovered with a start were no longer specks. I found, to my amazement, I had left my body and was careening swiftly through space, infinite space. The range opened up in front of me, spreading out far and wide, winding black and awful, their solemn grandeur lost in that terrible desolation which makes the moon appear like a hideous nightmare. I could see with amazing clearness the sides of the mountains. There were enormous black fissures some of them hundreds of feet in width, and the more I gazed, the more impressed I grew with the silence. There was no life, there were no seas, no lakes, no trees, no grass, no sighing or moaning of the wind, nothing to remind me of the earth I now found to my terror I had actually quitted. Everything around me was black, the sky, the mountains, the vast pits, the dried-up mouths of which gaped dismally. With the movements of a man in a fit, I essayed to hinder the finis of my mad plunge. I waved my limbs violently, kicking out and shrieking in the agonies of fear. I cursed and prayed, wept and laughed alternately, did everything, yet nothing, that could save me from contact with the lone desert so horribly close Nearer and nearer I approached, until at last my feet rested on the hard-caked soil. For the first few minutes after my arrival, I was too overwhelmed with fear to do other than remain stationary. 
the ground beneath my feet swarmed with myriads of foul and long-legged insects things with unwieldy pinchers and protruding eyes things covered with scaly armor hybrids of beetles and scorpions i have a distinct recollection of one huge jointed centipede making a vicious grab at my leg he failed to make his teeth meet in anything tangible and emitting a venomous hiss disappeared into a circular pit whilst i was the victim of this insect's ferocity the horizon had become darkened by the shadowy outline of an enormous apish form i wanted to run away but could not and was compelled sorely against my will to witness its approach never shall i forget the agonies of doubt i endured during its advance no man in a tiger's den nor deer tied to a tree awaiting its destroyer could have suffered more than i did then and my terror increased tenfold when i recognized the monster nippon a young gorilla that had been under my charge and had given me no end of trouble when i was head keeper in the zoological gardens at Bern. i never hated anything so much as i hated that baboon at my hands it had undergone a thousand subtle torments i had pinched it poked it pulled its hair frightened it by putting on masks and making all sorts of queer noises and finally i had secretly poisoned it and now we stood face to face without any bars between us never shall i forget the look of intense satisfaction in its hideous eyes as its gaze encountered mine in that strange forlorn world we faced each other i the tyrant once now the quarry in the wildness of its glee it capered about like a mad thing executing the most exaggerated antics that augmented my terror every second i anticipated an assault and the knowledge of my fears lent additional fierceness to its gambols a sudden change in my attitude at length made it cease the use had returned to my limbs my muscles were quivering and before it could stop me i had fled the wildest of chases then ensued i ran with a speed that would have shamed a record-beater on earth with extraordinary nimbleness i vaulted over titanic boulders of rocks jumped across dikes of infinite depth scurried like lightning over tracts of rough lacerating ground and never for one instant felt like flagging suddenly to my horror i came to an abrupt standstill and the cry of some hunted animal burst from my lips unwittingly i had run against a huge wall of granite and escape was now impossible again and again i clawed the hard rock until the skin hung in shreds from my fingers and the blood pattered on the dark soil that in all probability had never tasted moisture before all this amused my pursuer vastly it watched with the leisure of one who knows its fish will be landed in safety and there suddenly came to me through my olfactory nerves a knowledge that it was speaking to me in the language of sense the language i never understood till now was the language of all animals reach a little higher it said there are niches up there and you must stretch your limbs ha ha do you remember how you used to make me stretch mine you do well you needn't shiver explain to me how it is i find you here i cannot comprehend i gasped with a gesticulation that was grotesque the great beast laughed in my face how so it queried you used to quibble me upon my dull wits must i now return the compliment ha there's blood on your hands blood i will lick it up and with a mocking grin it advanced keep off keep off i shouted my god will this dream never cease the dream as you call it the gorilla jeered has only just begun the climax of your horrors has yet to come if you cannot tell me the purport of your visit i will tell you mine can your lordship spare the time to listen i gave no answer 
I clutched the wall and uttered incoherent cries like some frightened madman. The gorilla felt the muscles in its hairy fingers and showed its huge teeth. I looked eagerly at my enemy. "'Come, you haven't guessed my riddle. You are dull tonight,' it said lightly. "'That old wine of yours made you sleep too soundly. Don't let me disturb you. I will explain. The moon is now my home. I share it with the spirits of all the animals and insects that were once on your earth. And now that we are free from such as you, free to wander anywhere we like without fear of being shot or caught or caged, we are happy.' and what makes us still happier is the knowledge that the majority of men and women will never have a joyous after-state like ours they will be earth-bound in that miserable world of theirs and compelled to keep their old haunts scaring to death with their ugly faces all who have the misfortune to see them there is another fate in store for you however do you know what it is it paused no sound other than that occasioned by its bumping on the soil broke the impressive hush do you know it said again well i will tell you i am going to kill you right away so that your spirit it's all nonsense to talk about souls such as you have no soul will be earthbound here here forever and will be a perpetual source of amusement to all of us animal ghosts it then began to jabber ferociously and crouching down prepared to spring for heaven's sake i shrieked for heaven's sake but i might as well have appealed to the wind it had no sense of mercy he he it screamed what a joke what a splendid joke your wit never seems to degenerate huggesson i'm wondering if you will be as funny when you're a ghost get ready i'm coming i'm coming and as the sky deepened to an awe-inspiring black and the stars grew larger brighter fiercer and the great lone deserts appealed to me with a force unequaled before it sprang through the air a singing in my ears and a great bloody mist rose before my eyes the wailing and screeching of a million souls was borne in loud protracted echoings through the drum of my ears men and women with evil faces rose up from a crag and boulder to spit and tear at me i saw creatures of such damning ugliness that my soul screamed aloud with terror and then from the mountain tops the bolt of heaven was let loose every spirit was swept away like chaff before the first of wind that hurling and shrieking bore down upon me i gave myself up for lost i felt all the agonies of suffocation my lungs were torn from my palpitating body my legs wrenched round in their sockets my feet whirled upwards in that gust of devilish air all excruciating damning pain and pro tempore i knew no more n b it was subsequently ascertained by my friend, the late Mr. Supton, that a man named Hugesson, who had been for a short time headkeeper at Zoological Gardens, had been found dead, in bed, by his landlady, with a look on his face so awful that she had fled shrieking from the room. The death was, of course, attributed to syncope, but my friend, who, by the way, had never heard of Hugesson before he received the foregoing account through the medium of Planchette, told me, and I agreed with him, that from similar cases that had come within his experience, it was most probable that Hugesson had, in reality, projected himself and had perished in the manner described. No more improbable than the above story is that sent me by my old school friend, Martin Tristram, who died last year, I style it the case of Martin Tristram. It is reproduced from a magazine published some three years ago. After Martin Tristram once took up spiritualism, his visits to me became most erratic, and I not only never knew when to expect him, but I was not always sure, when he did come, that it was he. This sounds extraordinary. To see a man is assuredly to recognize him, not always by no means always there are circumstances in which a man loses his identity when his ego is supplanted by another ego 
when he ceases to be himself and assumes an individuality which is entirely different from himself this is undoubtedly the case in madness imbecility epilepsy so-called total loss of memory through cerebral injury hypnotism sometimes in projection when the astral body gets detained and also not infrequently in investigating peculiar instances of psychic phenomena but if the astral body has been evicted from its carnal home whither has it gone and what is the nature of the thing that has taken its place ah these are indeed puzzles puzzles i am devoting a lifetime to solve there have been moments when unseen hands have gradually begun to pull aside the obscuring veil when the identity of the usurping spirit has seemed on the verge of being disclosed to me and i have been about to be initiated into the greatest and most zealously guarded of all secrets there have been times i say when my occult researches have actually brought me to this climax but up to the present i have invariably been disappointed the curtain has suddenly fallen the esoteric ego has shrunk into its shell and the mystery surrounding it has remained impenetrable this is but one albeit perhaps the most striking of the many methods through which the superphysical endeavors to get in immediate contact with the physical i was unpleasantly reminded of it when martin tristram's carnal body came to visit me one night several years ago i was aware that it was not tristram his mannerisms were the same his voice had not altered but there was an expression in his eyes that told of a very different spirit from martin's dwelling within that body the night being cold he closed the door carefully and crossing the room to where i sat by the fire threw himself in an easy chair and gazed meditatively at me my rooms in bloomsbury were not lonely they had more than their share of brawling brats on either side there were no gloomy recesses or ghost suggestive cupboards and i never once experienced in them the slightest apprehension of sudden superphysical manifestations yet i cannot help saying that as i met that glance from the pseudo tristram's eyes i felt my flesh begin to creep he sat so long in silence that i began to wonder if he ever meant to speak the secret of success in seeing certain classes of apparitions he said at length to a very great extent lies in sympathy sympathy and now for my story i will tell you in the third person i looked at tristram's face in dismay the third person yes the third person he gravely rejoined and under the circumstances the only person you see it is now close on midnight i looked at the clock great heavens what he had said was correct a whole evening had slipped by without my knowledge he would of course have to stay the night i suggested it to him my dear fellow he replied with an odd smile don't worry about me i am not dependent on any trains i shall be home by two o'clock i shivered a draught of cold air had in all probability stolen through the cracks of the ill-fitting window frames you have on one of your queer moods martin i expostulated to be home by two o'clock you must fly but proceed at all costs the story tristram raised an eyebrow a true sign that something of special interest would follow you know bruges he began i nodded very well then he went on exactly a week ago martin tristram arrived there from antwerp the hour was late the weather boisterous tristram was tired and any lodging was better than none hailing a four-wheeler he asked the jehu to drive him to some decent hotel where the sheets were clean and the tariff moderate and the fellow gathering up the reins took him at a snail's pace to a medieval-looking tavern in la rue croissant you remember that street perhaps not it is quite a back street extremely narrow very tortuous and miserably lighted with a few gas lamps of the usual antique belgian order tristram was too tired however to be fastidious he felt he could lie down and go to sleep anywhere 
and what scruples he might have had were entirely dissipated by the appearance of the charming girl who answered the door it is not expedient to dwell upon her she plays a very minor part if indeed any in the story martin tristram merely thought her pretty and that as i have said fully reconciled him to taking up his quarters in the house he has as you are doubtless aware a weakness for vivid coloring and her bright yellow hair carmine lips and scarlet stockings struck him impressively as she led the way to his bedchamber where she somewhat reluctantly parted from him with a subtly attractive smile left to himself martin sleepily examined his surroundings the room oak panelled throughout was long low and gloomy an enormous old-fashioned empty fireplace occupied the centre of one of the walls on the one side of it was an oak settee on the other an equally ponderous black oak chest heavy oaken beams traversed the ceiling and the sombre funereal character of the room was fully increased by a colossal and antique four-poster which placed in the exact middle of the chamber faced a gigantic mirror attached grotesquely carved and excessively lofty sable supports viewed in the feeble fluctuating candlelight the latter seemed endowed with some peculiar and emphatically weird life their glistening polished surfaces threw a dozen and one fantastic but oddly human shadows on the boards as at the same time they appeared in bewildering alternation to increase and diminish in stature tristram hastily undressed and stretching himself between the blankets prepared to go to sleep like yourself and for a similar reason he never sleeps on his left side accordingly he occupied the right portion only of the enormous bed why he did not fall asleep at once he could not explain he fancied that it might be because he was overtired this undoubtedly had something to do with it as also had the remarkable noises footfalls creaks and sighs that came from every corner of the apartment the moment the light was out he listened to these inexplicable sounds with increasing alarm until the sonorous clock from somewhere outside boomed one when quite unaccountably he fell asleep awakening on the stroke of two from a dreadful nightmare to his intense astonishment and consternation he was no longer alone in the bed someone or something was lying by his side on the left-hand side of the bed at first his thoughts reverted to the young lady with the scarlet stockings then a sensation of icy coldness whilst speedily reassuring him with regard to her struck him with the utmost terror who or what could it be for some seconds he lay in breathless silence too frightened even to stir and panic-stricken lest the violent beating of his heart should arouse the mysterious visitor but at length impelled by an irresistible impulse he sat up in bed and opened his eyes the room was aglow with a phosphorescent light and in the depths of the glittering mirror he saw a startling reproduction of the phantasmagoric four-poster he instinctively felt that there were some extraordinary change in the supports and that the suspicions he had at first entertained as to their semi-human properties had become verified but mercifully for his sanity he found it impossible to look his attention was immediately riveted on the object by his side which he recognized with a thrill of surprise was a bronzed and bearded man of rather more than middle age who appeared to be buried in the most profound sleep the picture was so vividly portrayed in the glass that tristram could see the gentle heaving of the bedclothes each time the sleeper breathed fascinated beyond measure at such an unlooked-for spectacle and desirous of a closer inspection tristram with a supreme effort managed to tear away his eyes from the mirror and to glance at the bed where to his unmitigated astonishment he saw no one quite unable to know what to make of the phenomenon he again directed his gaze to the glass and there right enough lay the sleeper a cold shudder now ran through tristram he could no longer disguise from himself what he had in reality thought all along 
that the room was haunted. The usual symptoms accompanying occult manifestations rapidly made themselves known. Tristram was constrained to stare at the luminous glitter before him in helpless expectation. To save his soul, he could neither have stirred nor uttered the faintest ejaculation. He saw in the mirror the door of the bedroom slowly open, and a hideous, apish face peep stealthily in, not at him, but at the sleeper. Next he watched a figure, brown and hairy and lurid, the figure of some huge monkey come crawling into the room on all fours and followed each of its tell-tale movements as sidling up to its sleeping victim it suddenly hurled itself at him choking him to death with its long fingers this was the climax tristram saw no more the phosphorescent light died out the mirror darkened and on sinking back on his pillow he realized with the wildest delight he was once again alone, his bedfellow had gone. Tristram was so unnerved by all that had happened that he made up his mind to leave the house at daybreak, a decision which, however, was altered on the appearance of the sun and the charming little girl in the red stockings. After breakfasting, Tristram strolled around the town, chancing to meet an old schoolfellow named Harriet in the Rue de Mermedot. Harriet had only recently come to Bruges. He was dissatisfied with his lodgings, and readily fell in with Tristram's suggestion that they should dig together. The maid with the yellow hair was more pleasing than ever. Harriet fell desperately in love with her, and it was close on midnight before he could be persuaded to bid her good night and accompany Tristram to the bedchamber. "'I wonder why she told me not to sleep on the left side of the bed.' he said to Martin, as they began to undress. Tristram glanced guiltily at the mirror. For reasons of his own, he hadn't as much hinted to Harriet what he had seen there the previous night, and he was not at all sure now that it might not have been a nightmare or an hallucination. Anyhow, he would like to put it to the test before mentioning it to anyone, and Harriet, whom he knew to be a skeptic with regard to ghosts, was so strong and hale a man physically that, happen what might, he had no apprehensions whatever concerning him. Regretting that he was obliged to disobey the wishes of a lady, Harriet declared his preference for the left side of the bed, adding that if the maiden was so highly enamored of him, she must put herself to the inconvenience of a few extra yards. Infatuation like hers, he maintained, should surely overcome all obstacles." Nothing loth, Tristran gave in to him, and before many minutes had elapsed, both men had fallen into a deep sleep. On the stroke of two, Tristram awoke, perspiring horribly. The room was once again aglow with a phosphorescent light, and he felt the presence next to him of something cold and clammy. Unable to look elsewhere, he was again compelled to gaze in the mirror, where he saw, to his consternation and horror, no Harriet, but in his place the man with the bronzed face and bushy beard. He had hardly recovered from the shock occasioned by this discovery when the door surreptitiously opened and the figure of the ape glided noiselessly in. Again he was temporarily paralyzed, his limbs losing all their power of action and his tongue cleaving to the roof of his mouth. The movements of the phantasm were entirely repetitionary of the previous night. Approaching the bed on all fours, it leaped on its victim, the tragedy being accompanied this time by the most realistic chokings and gurgles to all of which Tristram was obliged to listen in an agony of doubt and terror. The drama ended. Tristram was overcome by a sudden fit of drowsiness and sinking back onto his pillow, slept till broad daylight. Anxious to question Harriet as to whether he too had been a witness of the ghostly transaction, he touched him lightly on the shoulder. There was no reply. He touched him again, and still no answer. He touched him yet a third time, and as there was still no response, he leaned over his shoulder and peered into his face. Harriet was dead. 
This is the fourth death in that bed within the last twelve months that I can swear to, the English doctor remarked to Tristram as they walked down the street together, and always from the same cause, failure of the heart due to a sudden shock. If you take my advice, you'll clear out of the place at once. Tristram thought so too, but before he went he had a talk with the girl in the red stockings. I can't tell you all I know, she said to him as he kissed her, but I wouldn't sleep a night in that room for a fortune, though I believe it's quite safe if you keep on the right side of the bed. I wish your friend had done so. He was so handsome. And Tristram, not a little hurt, let go her hand and made arrangements for the funeral. And is that all? I asked as Tristram's material body paused. It may be, was the reply, but that is why I've come to you. Don't be gulled by Tristram into any investigations in that house. Enthusiasm for his research work makes him unconsciously callous, and if he once got you there, he might, even against your better judgment, persuade you to sleep on the left side. Good night. I shook hands with him and he departed. The following evening I heard it all again from Tristram himself the real Tristram. Needless to say, his concluding remarks differed essentially. With unbounded cordiality, he urged me to accompany him back again to the Bruges, and I declined. He wrote to me afterwards to say that he had discovered the history of the house. A man, a music hall artist, answering to the description of the figure in the bed, had once lived there with a performing ape an orangutan and happening to annoy the animal one day the latter had killed him the brute was eventually shot this experience of mine tristram added is of greatest value for it has thoroughly convinced me of one thing at least and that that apes have spirits and if that be so so must all other kinds of animals of course they must phantasms of cat and baboon a sister of a well-known author tells me there used to be a house called the Swallows, standing in two acres of land, close to a village near Basingstoke. In 1840, a Mr. Bishop of Tring bought the house, which had long stood empty, and went to live there in 1841. After being there a fortnight, two servants gave notice to leave, stating that the place was haunted by a large cat and a big baboon, which they constantly saw stealing down the staircases and passages. They also testified to hearing sounds as of somebody being strangled, proceeding from an empty attic near where they slept, and of the screams and groans of a number of people being horribly tortured in the cellars just underneath the dairy. On going to see what was the cause of the disturbances, nothing was ever visible. By and by, other members of the household began to be harassed by similar manifestations. The news spread through the village, and crowds of people came to the house with lights and sticks to see if they could witness anything. One night, at about twelve o'clock, when several of the watchers were stationed on guard in the empty courtyard, they saw all the forms of the huge cat and a baboon rise from the closed grating of the large cellar under the old dairy, rush past them, and disappear in a dark angle of the walls. The same figures were repeatedly seen afterwards by many other persons. Early in December of 1841, Mr. Bishop, hearing fearful screams, accompanied by deep and hoarse jabberings, apparently coming from the top of the house, rushed upstairs, whereupon all was instantly silent, and he could discover nothing. After that, Mr. Bishop set to work to get rid of the house, and was fortunate enough to find a purchaser, a retired colonel, who was soon, however, scared out of it. This was in 1842. It was soon after pulled down. The ground was used for the erection of the cottages, but the hauntings being transferred to them, they were speedily vacated, and no one ever daring to inhabit them. They were eventually demolished, the site on which they stood being converted into allotments. There were many theories as to the history of the swallows, one being that a highwayman, known as Steeplechase Jock, the son of a Scottish chieftain, had once plied his trade there, 
and murdered many people, whose bodies were supposed to be buried somewhere on or near the premises. He was said to have had a terrible, though decidedly unorthodox, ending, falling into a vat of boiling tar, a raving madman. But what were the phantasms of the ape and the cat? Were they the earthbound spirits of the highwayman and his horse, or simply the spirits of two animals? Though either theory is possible, I am inclined to favor the former. Psychic Bears Edmund Lenthal Swift, appointed in 1814 Keeper of the Crown Jewels in the Tower of London, refers in an article in Notes and Queries, 1860, to various unaccountable phenomena happening in the Tower during his residence there. He says that one night in the jewel office, one of the sentries was alarmed by a figure like a huge bear issuing from underneath the jewel room door. He thrust at it with his bayonet, which, going right through it, stuck in the doorway, whereupon he dropped it in a fit and was carried senseless to the guard room. When on the morrow Mr. Swift saw the soldier in the guard room, his fellow sentinel was also there and the latter testified to having seen his comrade, before the alarm, quiet and active, and in full possession of his faculties. He was now, so Mr. Swift added, changed almost beyond recognition, and died the following day. Mr. George Offer, in referring to this incident, alludes to queer noises having been heard at the time the figure appeared, Presuming that the sentinel was not the victim of a hallucination, the question arises as to the kind of spirit that he saw. The bear, judging by cases that have been told to me, is by no means an uncommon occult phenomenon. The difficulty is how to classify it, since, upon no question appertaining to the psychic, can one dogmatize. To quote from a clever poem that appeared in the January number of the Occult Review, to pretend one knows anything definite about the immaterial world is all swank. At the most, we can only speculate. Nothing, nothing whatsoever beyond the bare fact that there are phenomena, unaccountable by physical laws, has yet been discovered. All the time and energy and space that have been devoted by scientists to the investigation of spiritualism and to making tests and automatic writing are, in my opinion, hopelessly futile. No one who has ever really experienced spontaneous ghostly manifestations could for one moment believe in the genuineness of the phenomena produced at seances. They have never deceived me, and I am of the opinion spirits cannot be convoked to order either through a so-called medium falling into a so-called trance, through table-turning, automatic writing, or anything else. If a spirit comes, it will come either voluntarily or in obedience to some unknown power, and certainly neither to satisfy the curiosity of a crowd of sensation-loving men and women, nor to be analyzed by some cold, calculating, presumptuous professor of physics whose proper sphere is the laboratory. But to proceed... The phenomenon of the big bear, provided again it was really objective, may have been the phantasm of some prehistoric creature whose bones lie interred beneath the tower, for we know the valley of the Thames was infested with giant reptiles and quadrupeds of all kinds, or it may have been a vice elemental, or the phantasm of a human being who lived a purely animal life and whose spirit would naturally take the form most closely resembling it. Judging by the number of experiences related to me, hauntings by phantom hares and rabbits would appear to be far from uncommon. There is this difference, however, between the hauntings by the two species of an animal. Phantom hares usually portend death or some grave catastrophe, either to the witness himself or to someone immediately associated with him, whereas phantom rabbits are seldom prophetic and may generally be looked upon as merely the earthbound spirits of some poor rabbits that have met with untimely ends. Hauntings by a White Rabbit Mr. W. T. Steed, in his Real Ghost Stories, gives an account of the hauntings by a phantom rabbit in a house in Blank Road. He does not, however, mention any locality. After describing several of the phenomena which disturb various occupants of the place, he goes on to say, in the language of Mrs. A., who narrates the incidents, A dog which lay on the rug also heard the sounds, for he pricked up his ears and barked. 
Without a moment's delay, she flew to the door, calling the dog to follow her, intending as she did so to open the hall door and call for assistance. But the dog, though an excellent house dog, crouched at her feet and whined, but would not follow her up the stairs. So she carried him up in her arms, and reaching the door, called for assistance. When, however, the dining-room doors were open, the rooms were in perfect quiet and destitute of any signs of life. The behavior of the dog here accords exactly with the behavior of dogs I have had in haunted houses, and substantiates my theory that dogs are excellent psychic barometers. After the family had been in the house a few weeks, a white rabbit made its appearance. This uncanny animal would suddenly appear in a room in which members of the family were seated, and after gliding round and slipping under chairs and tables, would disappear through a brick wall as easily as through an open door. This is the invariable trick of ghosts. They seldom, however, open doors. Mrs. A. adds, Some years now have elapsed since the incident I have now related took place, and again, in response to orders given by the enterprising landlord of the property, long closed doors and windows have been thrown open, and painters and paper hangers have brought in their skill to bear upon gruesome rooms and halls. The house is once more inhabited, this time by a widow lady and some grown-up sons. These tenants come from a distance, and are entirely strangers both to the neighborhood and the former history of the house but to use her own words the mistress cannot understand what ails the house her sons insist on sleeping together in one room and the quiet of the house is constantly being broken by the erratic appearances of a large white rabbit which inmates are frequently engaged chasing but are never able to find mr steed offers no explanation I can see no other conclusion, however, than that this ghost was the actual phantasm of some rabbit that had been done to death in the house, probably by the boy whose apparition was among the other manifestations seen there. John Wesley's Ghost During the extraordinary manifestations which occurred in the house of John Wesley at Epworth, the phantom forms of two animals appeared, one being a large white rabbit and the other an animal like a badger, which used to appear in the bedrooms and run about, then disappear, whilst the various bangings and rappings were at their loudest. This is the only case I have ever come across of the ghost of a badger. I think it must be unique. Mr. Spann adds, Many strange and inexplicable things occurred in that house which were not due to any natural cause or reason. I remember that loud rappings used to sound around my room at nights even when I had a light burning. I was often awakened by rappings on the floor of my bedroom, which would then sound on the walls and furniture, and were heard by others occupying rooms some distance off. This again is most interesting, as ghosts seldom visit lighted rooms. Mr. Spann continues, It was in the afternoon and bright daylight when my brother saw this mysterious animal. He was in the drawing-room alone, and as he was standing at one side of the room looking at pictures on the walls, he heard a noise behind him, and found, on looking round, that a sofa which generally lay against one of the walls had been lifted by some unknown power into the middle of the room. At the same time, he saw an animal like a rabbit run from under the sofa across the room and disappear into the wall. He searched everywhere for the animal, which could not have escaped from the room, as the doors and window were closed, but was unable to find any sign of one, or any hole whereby one might have passed out. The Psychic Faculty in Hares and Rabbits Hares and rabbits are very susceptible to the superphysical, the presence of which they scent in the same manner as do horses and dogs. I have known them to evince the greatest symptoms of terror when brought into a haunted house. End of chapter 5